I have made a mess of me. You have made a mess of you. But it's not too late to reverse that tragedy. And today we're going to talk about how that happens, how it's happened in Christ, how it can happen for you. I think that what God's been teaching me over the last year, you can learn over the next half hour, and you can be set free in unbelievable ways that maybe you had been given, that you've just given up on. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world comes all around you. Satan comes against you. And there is this battle within you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is really the second half of last week's message. So if you feel like you're coming in at the middle of the movie, go back to Ustream or the podcast and pick up last week's, and maybe you'll understand a little better. But I think you're going to get it. Because if you don't know whom the enemy is, then you can never battle and you're never going to escape this life that you've lived in defeat. We're beginning this series last week and this week on spiritual warfare with your biggest enemy. And I've called this the battle in me. The battle in me. Your leading enemy is not the world. Your most dangerous enemy is not even Satan. The biggest threat to your life, to your happiness, and your well-being you. You are your main problem. Even when I say that, I can sense and feel in my spirit and maybe in your spirit a little resistance because it's offensive to hear that. There's a battle in me and you know for a fact that there are things that you know would be good for you healthy for you, positive for you, good for the other people around you, but you don't do them. And you know for a fact that there are things that are bad for you, things that are unhealthy for you, things that just mess up your life, but you still do them anyway. Last week we looked at this dilemma, and it was true in Paul's life. Paul, who I think is probably the greatest Christian outside of Jesus who ever lived, and he had this same problem. Check this out. I'm just going to read this for you out of Romans 7. He says, I can't figure myself out. I can't figure it out. All my best intentions aren't good enough. I want to do the right thing. I don't want to do the wrong things, but I do. And that's the story of me. And that's the story of you. Most of you... Some of you I've known for years and years. And you know, you know what I figured out about me and about you? We know far more than we're applying. It's not about what's in your head. I've got a bachelor's degree in religion. I've got a master's degree in religion. I've got a doctor of divinity in theology. But I have an incredible potential to live a defeated life as a follower of Jesus. It's not what you have in your head. It's what you've got in your heart. So if you think by just accumulating Bible facts and trivia and information that you're going to get godly and you're going to have freedom, you've been on the wrong path. And today maybe you'd be set free. It's not just knowing it. It's living it. 
And there's a battle in us because we have a natural resistance. We want to do what is easy, what's fun, what's quick, what's comfortable. Rather than what is healthy and right and best and is going to lead to life. Most of us have figured out that good intentions are just not good enough. And the truth is this. Are you ready? Most of your unhappiness is because you listen to you instead of God. Most of your unhappiness is because you listen to you instead of God. When you do that, you tell yourself stuff all the time that just isn't true. And sometimes you know it's not true, but you go through all these hoops and these maneuvers to get it to feel true or to seem true. And sometimes you really don't know that it is. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's accurate. <laughs> I just had, I had a thought. And that doesn't make it true. It doesn't mean it's correct. In fact, a lot of the things you think of just aren't true. They're, they're not accurate. A lot of the things I think of are not correct. They're not real. A lot of thoughts are actually deceptions that rationalize the lies that we tell ourselves because we want to protect ourselves. It's, it's wired into you to have those kind of defense mechanisms. And in every battle that we face, in any battle, whether it's a global battle, you know, we're looking at where do we have defense missile systems set up now. You know, there's one in Alaska, there's one in California. Is that enough? You know, there's 24 set up in it. And we think, oh, we need to double that. And we need them in other places because we realize we're vulnerable. And there are rogue nations who, who would threaten to destroy us. We understand there are weapons. And it's important what kind of weapon you use in what battle. So I want to talk to you today about what the, the, the Bible talks about, these weapons of self-destruction. Not to, We're going to get to this, what the world does to you and what Satan does to you. But we're going to focus on what you're doing to you, what you do to yourself. There are things that you do all the time that damage you and that hurt you, that cause you to self-destruct, that trigger this enormous stress and enormous pain and enormous unhappiness and this unneeded pressure in your life that you create. I was sitting with a friend once and he was listing off his problems and I just, I wrote them down as, and I wrote down 10 problems and I said, I'm just going to, I said, and again, I'm not a good counselor, okay? You don't want to come <laughs> because you think, I don't like him, he hurts my feelings and he, he's just, okay. I said, here's your ten problems. I said, seven of these you created. Three, you're a victim. You want to be a victim of all ten. But what if you could get rid of 70%? There's a lot of victory there. Maybe a hundred. So what we're going to do, I'm going to show you from, from God's Word in this one amazing chapter, uh, Romans 8, um, how, how Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God is living within you and how he can give you victory over every one of the weapons that come against you. Is that good news? 
tell you what, it's good news for me. I'm still learning this, but I felt like this just exploded in my heart and mind and began to see some things I should have seen before. So before we get even into this text, it's a marvelous text, uh, I want to define some things, okay? To make sure we're all on the same page. I think we are, but it may be something that's just felt and not defined. So I want to walk through uh, some things that, that I think you can talk to any counselor, your therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, and they're all going to tell you different things about different things, but here's where they're going to line up. That these are the issues that mess up people's lives more than anything else. And if you're here today and you think, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not a Christian, and you think, eh, so it, will it apply to me? Yes. And you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ. Same issues. Here they are. First weapon that, that I use on myself is shame. You cannot be happy and feel ashamed at the same time. I've tried it. When you feel ashamed, when you feel guilty... When you feel regret, that just steals all of your joy and all of your happiness. You cannot maintain those two emotions. And shame is going to win out every time. Second weapon that I use to destroy myself is uncontrolled thoughts. If you don't learn how to control your thoughts, your thoughts will ruin your life your thoughts because you say stuff to yourself all the time that causes discontentment and and fear and anxiety and it brings grief it creates this pressure because we tell ourselves and I'm the king I've done this since I was a little boy I can I'm a master at self-talk I can talk I can work myself up from the time I walk home from school you know as a middle schooler by the time I get home I'm like freaking out and you think, why? what happened? Who's, well, nothing. I just got to thinking, and I started telling myself, you do that. And it's hard to know once you get on into it, into the midst of that, those thoughts, what's true and what's not. The third weapon of, of self-destruction is impulses. Impulses are those inner drives, those desires. You can call them lusts. You can call them habits. You can call it a compulsion. What I'm talking about are these things in your life that you, you, when, you, when you do it, you feel like, ah, I, did, I, I couldn't help it. I, I did it again. I couldn't stop myself. Have you ever said that? As you're reaching for the, you know, like, fourth donut, I, I couldn't stop myself. It's like someone was in possession. It was an accident. It's not an accident. I've never eaten anything by accident. <laughs> Even though you knew it was wrong, you just had to do it. That's what I'm talking about. The fourth weapon is one many of us are all too familiar with. It's fear. Fear is an enormous destroyer of contentment, of your potential. Some of you will never try to reach God's purpose for your life you, because of fear. You've got everything. God just put everything in you that you need, but you're afraid. This will limit your life like nothing else fear. The next weapon is hopelessness. When you start to feel hopeless about anything, you get discouraged. You just want to give up. You just felt like giving up? If you feel hopeless about your marriage, you're going to give up on it. 
If you feel hopeless about ever getting married. If you feel hopeless about your finances. If you feel hopeless about your health. I mean, there's something in us that just says, I'm just, I'm just going to give up. And the enemy loves that. Loves for you just to call it quits. The next weapon is huge. And, and it's, it's killing some of you. It's bitterness. Because life is unfair. We don't all get the same things. We don't all always get what we think we deserve in a, in a positive way. Because life is broken. And these things happen and you think, I'm just getting over this and now this happens. Or it's not fair, I'm not even over that. And then, and then this. Somebody hurt you. Life hurts you. And it can make you bitter. Bitterness becomes like a poison that's just slowly being released into your system. It's like a cancer that's growing inside you. It is one, if not the most highly destructive emotion I can think of. All it does is make you miserable. And the weird thing about that, the ironic thing, is that sometimes the person you're bitter against or the situation, they don't know, they're completely unaware of it. <laughs> they're just, they're living their life. And you're over here just getting eat up. It hurts you. And this last weapon is, is this, this weapon of self-destruction, insecurity. Many of you, many of us have lived either quietly or obviously insecure, off and on, or on your whole life. And when you're insecure, there's this tendency in us, there's this thing that wants to show everybody else, I'm not insecure. <laughs> and so we pretend to be confident. And that's, you know, when you're doing that, what happens? You say dumb things, right? You act stupid, you know, and you're, you're posing and all the other posers can spot you. Because fakes spot other fakes. You know, we, we, can, we can see that in each other. And you can only hide it for so long. I mean, maybe when you first meet somebody the second time or the third time, but isn't it true that when you're around somebody after a while, you kind of you start picking up on this? They're, they're insecure. They're not as confident. He's not as cool as he acts like he is. He doesn't really feel that way. And I think it's amazing to see that this affects people from all walks of life. I've known politicians and stars and musicians and, and people who you just look at and think, oh my goodness, they've got, their, they've got it all together. They've got everything. And inside they're crying and they're dying. So the classic passage on dealing with these weapons uh, is Romans 7 and Romans 8. Last week we looked at Romans 7 and that explains... Uh, what these things do in, in your life. Romans 8 comes back and gives us the answer. Paul sets it up, and now he's going to say, and here's the solutions. And Paul says, says this. And he's, he's, what he's doing, he's outlining the battle that's going on in him. And I love that, again, because I think, okay, if Paul doesn't have his act together, <laughs> if Paul needs this, hello, I need this, and it kind of helps me that I'm in pretty good company. And here's what he says. What a miserable person I am. I mean, how many powerful Christians, somebody who writes half the New Testament, isn't that beautiful that he's so transparent? 
It's just so open. Most of us would never want to say that to our friends, right? We'd never want to admit that to our family. I am miserable. Well, I thought you were a Christian. And as Christians, we have a tendency. You know, we, we want to fake it. We want to, yeah, praise God. Everything's cool. Paul says, what a miserable person I am. All those things I know are good and what I want to do and I end up not doing and the things that I want to do, that's what I'm busy doing and I'm just messing up my life. What a miserable person I am. He says this, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I watched Dr. Oz. You know, I went to the web. I read Dr. Phil's book. You know, I see Oprah from time to time. I, you know, I do everything I know to do. I listen to my friends and... You know, I go to WebMD. None of that stuff really seems to work for very long. He just stops and he says, who's going to set me free from this body of death? And notice, I mentioned this last week, he doesn't say, what will set me free? What's going to set me free? Because the answer to the problem that's inside of you, the thing that's messing you up in your life that you want to change, the answer is not a pill. And I'm not telling you to go home and throw away all your medicine until you talk to your doctor, but I'm going to tell you, for a lot of the things that, you're, that are bothering you, it's not a pill. It's not a program. It's not another self-help book. It's not a blog. It's not a seminar. The answer is a person. It's Jesus Christ and his spirit inside you. Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. The spirit of God living inside you is going to give you more power to overcome all those negative emotions uh, than any other. I mean, it's just, it's going to be amazing. So Romans 8, I think, is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible. I don't know. That's a, isn't that a big statement? And you think, whoa, that's, a, that's big. And I thought about that. I was walking my dog, and I was thinking, what is, if I'm on a desert island, that's where I get my best thinking done, is trying to hold a border collie. You know, I don't know who's walking who. Uh, but I think about, well, if I can only have one chapter of the Bible, I'm on a desert island, I can only have one thing, what would it be? You know, actually it didn't take that long to come to this conclusion. Romans 8. There's so much packed full. Chocked full, I would say. Uh, I don't know how you would say that. But chocked full uh, of, of this, this life. It's a strong chapter. So full of liberating, healing truth. Um, and, and I want you to see what it has for us. My life is being set free by the truths that God is teaching me in Romans chapter 8. And I want, as your pastor and as your friend, I want so desperately, so much for you to be set free. I can't tell you how sincere I am that I, uh, that I, I long to see us all set free. So here's some steps, okay? Uh, the only way I could arrange this and for it not to be too long is just to do steps. And, and here, here's the first one uh, to being, to being set free. I must remind myself daily of what Jesus did for me. I can't let that get far away. That's the starting point. I've got to remember every day what Jesus did for me. And I think that's a big part of my job as your pastor, uh, to be honest. I don't teach you a lot of new things you don't know. Some of you have been Christians 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I say something, you go, read that story or heard that. I've got heard 10 sermons on that. I know that. You know what my job is? Is to remind you of things you already know. So that you remember truths that God wants to push down deeper into your heart. 
The benefits of salvation are absolutely amazing. Now, we have a lot of people, a lot of saved people who don't act like it, who don't live like it and don't think like it. We run around all the time. We're filled with shame, uncontrolled thoughts, sinful impulses, fear, bitterness, insecurity. Doesn't sound like a victorious Christian. Not exactly the picture that God had for us when he recreated us in Christ. We're believers. Maybe you're a believer but not set free. Well, God wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to live like this. So the first step that you've got to remind yourself of is what Jesus actually did for you. This is how the Holy Spirit sets me free from shame. Okay, from shame. Look at these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. You ought to, <laughs> you might should memorize that, that there is no condemnation. That means that God doesn't judge you for all the things. When you're in Christ, you're not being judged for all the things you've done. That by itself is, <laughs> because Jesus took all that judgment on him at the cross and that, that maybe just needs to blow up in, in your mind. He doesn't have to judge you because Jesus has already been judged. He doesn't have to condemn you because Jesus has already taken that condemnation on. The Bible says that if I'm a believer, if I belong to, to Christ, there is no condemnation anymore. This doesn't apply to you if you hadn't made that decision yet. But if you've received Christ into your life. The Bible says you're not, you're not under condemnation. Whew. I mean, that just, doesn't that? And notice it doesn't say that after I become a Christian, I won't sin. Uh, you're still going to sin. It doesn't say I'm not going to ever make a mistake again. You're going to make mistakes. What it says is you're not under condemnation for it. Now, this sounds so good that some of you think, well, that can't be true. There's got to be a catch. That's too big. In other words, you don't have to walk around with shame and guilt anymore. You don't have to. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all the sins. And this is the part you're going to have a hard time wrapping your head around. We get this part, that he paid for all the sins I've done in the past. Okay, that's great. He's forgiven me. He's forgiving me for the sins I, I do today. All right. Do you know that you're already forgiven for the sins you're going to commit? Those were all in Jesus on the cross. You feel just shame lift. Because I'm a believer, I have him. You don't have to walk around. The next part of that verse says this, For the power of the life-giving Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, has freed you, past tense, once and for all. Eros, it's, he said, it's a done deal. That's already happened. He freed you through Jesus Christ and the power of sin. I have a new power in my life. It's greater than self-discipline. You know, all those times that you, all you had to work against your bad habits was your willpower. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not. I did it again. You know, and you, and you, and you find that frustration. You've got, there's a new power in you. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christians are still relying on old power. They've never figured out how to connect into the spiritual power, into the power of the Holy Spirit, into the power of Jesus that's inside you. It's, it's in you. It's a new power. It's God's power in me. Now, the next thing it says is the law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, because of our flesh. 
laws. If God's laws, you know, you think, well, if I can just keep all the laws, then I'll be saved. Well, first of all, it's pretty much impossible. Uh, secondly, you would have trouble. If I said, okay, just keep the Ten Commandments. You go, okay, that's all I got to do. That's all I got to do. And before you walk away, I go, oh, wait, before you go, could you name the Ten Commandments? Now, I think I can get some of them. And you know, you'd name five or six or seven. And think, I can't think of the rest. You can't even name them. No less keep them all. You see what a dilemma? You see how impossible that is? And God knew that. Because laws don't change you on the, out, on, on, on the inside. They just change you on the outside. They just correct your behavior. I can stay under the speed limit, but in my heart I still want to speed. <laughs> that's a great illustration. And that's what happens with self-help programs. Self-help books. Uh, I'm going to change my behavior. The outside looks different, but inside, same old me. So if you're going to have a radical change, a transforming change in your life, it's got to change your nature. It's got to change you. And that's exactly what God does. If I thought that we could be changed as humans just by laws, I wouldn't have gone into the ministry. I wouldn't have become a pastor. I would have become a politician. You know, but I don't. One of the things we know here at Calvary and we don't expect is that if you're not a believer, um, if you're not in Christ, we don't expect you to act like you are uh, until you become one. Because we don't have the power to change ourselves and we get that. He says this, uh, he did this, Jesus died on the cross, so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished in us. Jesus not only paid for your sins, he did all the right things you couldn't do. He did all of that was, was in him. So if you're serious about changing your life, you've got to start where God wants you to start. You don't start with your behavior. You've tried that, your actions. You don't start with your feelings. <laughs> That's, you ever tried to force a feeling? Somebody else ever tried to say, oh, come on, be happy. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm happy. I mean, you know, you ever tried to do that? Stop being so sad. Oh, thanks for saying that. Wow, I, feel, I don't feel sad anymore. You know, it just, that doesn't work. Here's, here's what happens. You know, we have to, to change our minds. We have to understand that his righteousness has been a credit to us. That's called grace. And it starts with our mind. The battle for you to be set free is in changing your mind. The Bible teaches real clearly that the way we act is determined by the way that we feel. And the way we feel is determined by the way we think. You get it? I mean, that's just, you know, I don't feel like working out today. I don't feel like reading my Bible. And we, we follow through. I do feel, you know, today I feel like taking a walk. Oh, then I, that's going to cause me to do it. The good thing about this is that, that now that you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And you can ask him, God, would you put good thoughts in my mind? Because my thinking, uh, I don't trust that so much. I find that if I change the way I think, it's going to change the way I feel, and that's going to change the way I act. I mean, that one little strategy right there, you think, oh my goodness, I've, tried to, I've, I've been waiting around until I feel like it. You wait on that, well, you're never going to be there. So, you know, because we, we just think up stuff by ourselves. So you can say, Holy Spirit... And I pray things like this all the time. Lord, would you just put good thoughts in my mind? Would you just lead me? Would you help me to think correctly? Would you lead my thoughts? And he, he puts ideas in my head. 
The second mental habit to defeat these weapons is this. I ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. I just ask him, give me better thoughts. Romans 8, 5 to 6 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. You see the difference? There's two kinds of ways to live. There's, there's the mindset of the flesh and there's the mindset of the Holy Spirit. So I have to choose between those two mindsets. Am, am I going to set my mind on the way that I would normally think about my life? Or am I going to die to that? And set my mind on the way God thinks about my life. Huge difference. So if you choose one, you know, you're going to get a response. Paul says, the mind of sinful man is death. That is, it's self-destructive. It's just going to lead you nowhere. It's going to end up in death. But he says, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that's dominated, that's covered, that's wrapped up in the Spirit. He says, that's going to lead you to life and to peace and to joy. It is absolutely amazing. When God comes in and he begins to do that. That's the Holy Spirit's answer to uncontrolled thoughts. I ask the Holy Spirit, would you give me better thoughts? That's the principle of replacement. You see, here's what I spent a lot of my life doing. Resisting the thought. Right? You have a thought that comes in. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm thinking about it. You know? Do not picture, do not picture a blue monkey right now. Why did you do that? You see what I'm talking about? You try to resist. So here's what you do. We replace it. We replace that. This principle is, is anytime you want to change something in your life and you're serious about it, don't try to resist it. Just replace it. When you've got something negative in your life, replace it. You know, whatever you focus on is what gets your attention. Whatever gets your attention gets you. And that's why I want to break, you know, if you want to break any bad habit in your life, the key is to not just fight it and fight it and lose and lose and and give up, but just to refocus. Whatever you resist persists because you keep focusing on it. You choose what you dwell on. Satan gives you ideas. That's called temptation. The Holy Spirit gives you ideas. That's called inspiration. You choose what you focus on. But now that you're a believer, you've, you don't even have to choose it by your own willpower. You've got a helper. You can say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to give me your ideas about this. I would encourage you to do this. To begin I- inviting the Holy Spirit to have total and free access of your mind. Don't hide your thoughts. Don't lock things away in that corner in the, you know, of your mind. Uh, don't put things, you know, like, oh, I don't think God can see me thinking about this right now. No, just say, Holy Spirit, you know what? We're going to open all the windows and doors. And Holy Spirit, you have total access to what little mind I have. <laughs> it's all yours. You can, have, you can have access. And he just, he goes in. It's, it's amazing. Okay, third principle. Let me move on. I realize I have a new ability to say no. This is what trips some of you up. You think, well, I, could, I can't. What am I supposed to do? You know, I, re- I need to remind myself. I need to remember on a daily basis. I need to recognize that I'm a believer. And I have a new ability to say no to these things. Galatians 5.16 is a powerful scripture. It says this. 
Let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the old flesh. If, if I let the Spirit live through me, does it say I won't have those desires? No. Does it say, uh, it says I won't satisfy those desires? In other words, you, you're going to have the same temptations and the same desires and all of that. That's your flesh. That's going to uh, come against you. The same temptations, sure. But you still give in to them? No. Because I have a new power inside of me. I don't even think like that. And it's not just my willpower trying to do it anymore. This is the good news of Romans chapter 8. The next verse, verse 9 says, But you're not controlled by your flesh, your old self. You're now controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. We're controlled by the Spirit. He says, and anybody who does not have the Spirit of God living in them does not belong to Christ. So the question is, does he have all of you? Does he, does he have all of you? The rest of your life, you're going to be giving more and more to, to him. He says, so, so dear brothers, you have no obligation anymore to your old flesh to do what it begs you to do. So you thought, well, I, I sent, I, what was I supposed to do? I wasn't strong enough. You see, that's a lie that's been whispered to you so much you believed it. You're free. You don't have to sin anymore. I'm not saying you're never going to sin, okay? Make sure you understand. I'm saying this. You don't have to do it anymore. I mean, when I realized that, that just set me. I thought, I don't have to do it? Nope, you don't have to. Well, then I'm not. I mean, you think, really? Yeah. All right, next one. I need to turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm afraid. This is how God sets me free from my fearfulness. Romans 8, 14 and 16 says this, For the Spirit of God gives you, uh, the Spirit of God gives you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the Spirit makes you God's children. And by the Spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, Abba, Daddy. It's very, it's very intimate. My Father. It's an Aramaic word, and, and it's, it's what you would call, you know, somebody that you're close to. Everybody, you've got names for your grandparents, right? And everybody else hears them, and they go, what did he just call you? Oh, he called me Pookie, you know? And you think, you're a grown man. You're going to walk around being called Pookie? Yeah, well, that's what he calls me, you know? But it's sweet, and it's intimate for you. We have this name. We call him Father, Abba. God says, you're close to me. Just call on me. You're in the family. I'm not on my own anymore. I'm in a family. Whenever you're afraid, one of the first things you need to do is to remember this and just ask this question. Wait a minute. Whose family am I in? Who's, who's family? I've got a father now. I'm not alone. And when something comes against you, you can just say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know who my father is? And there's this power. God is my father. I'm a child of God. I'm in the family. So I can cry out to him. God, I'm feeling so afraid right now. And then name it. God, I'm, I'm feeling afraid about my job. Lord, I'm feeling afraid about this relationship. Lord, I'm feeling afraid that I'm, I'm this. I, I mean, you can just name those things. What are you most afraid of? Just say, Daddy, I'm scared. This is just... What are you most afraid of? Here's what I found. As a pastor, talking to people for 30 years, I think this... I think the number one pe thing that, that people are, are afraid of, really, is the fear of being out of control. 
when something, a relationship, a situation, a moment where you, you can't control what's going to happen or what is happening. I think that's it. And you trace it back. Anything, you know, follow that thread back. What is it I'm really scared of? It's that I'm out of control. And you feel your life spinning like that, it creates this massive fear. You know what? Everybody's broken. I'm broken. You're broken. The person sitting next to you, they're broken. The Bible says we shouldn't be afraid, but we should turn to God. Now, I'm going to give you a verse, and I'm going to encourage some of you, you need to memorize this verse. It's going to set you free. It's in 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and of self-control. So sometimes here's what I'll do. I'll begin to feel that fear, and I'll just say, Oh, Daddy, I'm feeling scared right now. I'm feeling afraid, and I'm afraid I'm going to, be look, I'm going to look foolish. I'm afraid I'm going to be humiliated. I'm afraid this. So I'm just going to tell you, this is what I'm afraid of. But here's what you say about that. You know, you, you've given me a spirit of, not a spirit of fear. You've given me a spirit of power and of love and self-control. Even just saying that, somehow I think, wow, there's this, I'm starting to feel some power in that. The more you have of the Holy Spirit, the more self-controlled you are. Uh, because God is going to begin to do that, and he's going to fill you with that power. It's, and you think, I don't know if that'll work. Well, it's because you haven't tried it, because you're scared. Okay, uh, the, 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 Okay. another thing, uh, here's some advice. Focus on the long term, not the short term. And college students, I'm going to beg you, don't focus just on short term. And that'll be the, the push, uh, the, the temptation of your life at this point is to focus on short-term things. Uh, think long-term. Think long-term. Uh, there was a study done at Harvard University that said this, the, the more long-term your thinking is, the more successful you're going to be in life. The shorter term your thinking is, the more failure you're going to experience in life. This was not a Christian study. People who fell in life have short-term thinking. They're only thinking about today, right now. Think past that. When you think long term, you're going to be able to handle the short term. Romans 8, 17 says this, Since we're his children, we will possess, since we are his children, we will possess the blessings he keeps for his family. See, we're in the family. And we will also possess with Christ what God has kept for him. The Bible says when you go to heaven, you're going to be rewarded um, for how well you did with what you've been given. So I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be rewarded when I get to heaven. I'm going to be a joint heir with Christ. I'm a son of the Lord. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. That's long-term thinking. You see, that's beyond just thinking about next year or five years or ten years. I'm thinking trillions of years from now, I'm going to be in heaven. So what else? You know, I mean, he's got to think long-term. And I'm going to possess everything that God is storing up for me. Everything that he's keeping for me. Now, another habit, uh, and I'm going to try to buzz, buzz through this and just kind of do this today because I want you to have this to think about, is an application of what, what he says in Romans 8, and that's how God sets us free from bitterness. Uh, and here's what I do. I remind myself that God is God and that God is in control. You need to remind yourself of that over and over every single day. I don't have time to, to go into it, but verses 19 and 25 talk about how sin has just wrecked havoc and just damaged this world. Everything in the world is broken. Everything in the world has lost its original purpose. Uh, and that's why you see all these problems 
uh, in the atmosphere and, and in us personally, you know, and all this weird weather and all these things because he says the environment's groaning because it's broken. You know, when you're driving your car and you think, listen to that, it's got a, making a funny noise. You know it's not supposed to do that, right? Because something's broken and it may keep going, but it's smoking and you can hear a clankety clank clank. You know, and that's what's happening in the world. And when you see these things, you think, oh, another indication that we live in a broken place. And I am broken. So the Holy Spirit groans, you know, in, in that, he says. Now, verse 26, 27 says this, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Isn't that something? I mean, I want you to stop and think about that. It says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself speaks to God for us. Now, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's God talking to himself <laughs> about me. And that's called prayer. You see, I talk, I mean, you talk to yourself all the time, right? I, mean, I was just thinking, that I was just telling myself, and, you know, and we do that. God is talking to himself about me. The Spirit of God prays for us and even begs God for a deep understanding that words can't explain. God sees what's in our heart, and the Spirit speaks to God for his people the way God wants so no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, the first thing that you know right now is the Holy Spirit's praying for me. I just think that's so cool. I just think that's so good. The Holy Spirit, is just, that God's just talking to himself about me. Um, who do I want praying for me? To God? God. Yeah, that just, uh, okay. Um, next verse says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's not all good, but God will use it all for good. God is greater than any problem. He's greater than my enemies. He's greater than my critics. God was using it all uh, for good things in your life. And I want you to know this before we, before we wrap up. God wants you to succeed. I don't think he, you know, sometimes we feel like he's another obstacle I'm trying to get past. He wants you to flourish. God's not against you. We sang that beautiful song a moment ago. I love that. I thought I leaned over and told Kathy, I said, that's the sermon in a song. I mean, that's so good. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, God's for you. Paul says this in verse 31. So what can we say about such wonderful things if God is for us? And you can take that little word if, and you can put the word since. Since God is for us. That's literally what that means. Who can be against us? Since God's for us. He says, God will give me what I need. When I'm feeling bitter, I need to remind myself that God's good. He's in control. Spirit's praying for me. He's using everything for good in my life. He wants me to succeed. He's going to give me what I need. Verse 32, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't God who gave us Christ give us everything else? If God gave you Jesus, don't you think he sees your debt? Don't you think he knows about your health problems? Don't you think he knows about your children? Don't you? You know, I just think, wow, God, if you've given me Jesus. Here's this last thing. Um, trust that, I just trust this. God is never, ever, and we sang about this too. God's never, ever going to stop loving me. He's never going to stop loving you. He said, I'm convinced. And, and I did it out of a different version so that it would sound fresh to your ears. So that it wouldn't just be a cliche. He said, I'm convinced that nothing 
can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest oceans, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, don't you love that? Once you're in God's hand, he's not letting go. He's not letting go. Uh, you cannot lose your relationship with God. I know you felt rejection, maybe by friends or by your parents, by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you've been rejected by a spouse. I want you to know this. God will never reject you. He won't. So my question is this. Do you belong to Jesus? Because none of these things are going to be true in your life. None of these principles are going to work unless you're in Christ. The first step to winning the battle in you is to surrender to his love. I wrote this in my journal this morning. If I weren't a follower of Jesus, I'd become one today. I would not live another day, another moment without him in my life. He can and will set you free. If you'd like to know how to do that, if you've never trusted Jesus, we have pastors, we have counselors, we have men and women here who would love to sit down. We can do that right now. We can do it later with a cup of coffee if your schedule won't allow it. Uh, but I think it would, and I would do it right now if I were you, just to walk through. Here's how. You can know that you know that all this is true for you. You'll be free. Shame, guilt, bitterness, all of that is washed away. Would you stand, please? And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this powerful truth in Romans 8. All of us lived and have lived, some are living in Romans 7. And Father, today you want to do something beautiful and new and fresh in us. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'd set us free. That you'd begin that process right now in each one of us. Wherever we are, 